0: Gonna continue on through our series in Romans and we'll just keep moving. Yes, uh praise God for that. Today we'll be looking at seven through thirteen, but first I'm gonna ask you to turn our old testament readings, Isaiah chapter forty two. So if you have your Bibles, uh turn with me please to Isaiah forty two, and we'll begin in verse eighteen. Now, I just want you to see the connection between the Old Testament reading, then what we read in the New Testament, and how that ties together. There's always that connective tissue there. So, this is the Word of the Lord. It says, Hear, you deaf, and look, you blind, that you may see. Who's blind but my servant, or deaf as my messenger whom I send? Who is blind as my dedicated one, or blind as the servant of the Lord? He sees many things but does not observe them. His ears are open, but he does not hear. The Lord was pleased for his righteousness righteousness sake to magnify his law and make it glorious. But this is a people plundered and looted. They are all of them trapped in holes and hidden in prisons. They become plunder with no one to rescue, spoil with no one to say, restore. Who among you will give ear to this, will attend and listen for the time to come? Who gave up Jacob to the looter and Israel to the plunderers? Was it not the Lord against whom we've sinned, in whose ways they would not walk, and whose law they would not obey? So he poured on him the heat of his anger and the might of battle. It set him on fire all around, but, it did, but he did not understand. It burned him up. But he did not take it to heart. Let's go to Romans chapter 7, our text this morning. Beginning in verse 7. We read this. Paul says, what then shall we say that the law is sin by no means? Yet, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin." For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment to seed me and through it killed me. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you and praise you so much. Once again, we ask your blessing upon this time, upon your word. I pray that you would be with each and every one of us here this morning. I pray, Lord, that you would be with me to bring forth your word in a powerful manner, Lord God, that is... um, that would speak to our hearts through your spirit. So I pray that we would be attentive, that our minds wouldn't wander, Lord God, that we wouldn't be thinking about what's happening later today, tonight or tomorrow, Lord God. But we would be fixed on Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. So give us understanding, give us wisdom, help us to grow, help us to learn, Lord God, help us to live for Jesus Christ with all boldness, never being ashamed of who we are in Christ and who we serve, for he is the only savior of men. We pray this in Jesus' precious name, amen. And amen. All right. As I read this, man, you're probably wondering, that's pretty confusing, isn't it? You know, you're reading what Paul talking about here. Well, it's going to be my goal this morning to try to make it a little more, uh, understandable for us and, and kind of grasp what he's saying because these are very common things that Paul is talking about here. In our relationship to the law, now we began last week, we saw the binding nature of the law of God, and especially the moral law, if you want to think about the Ten Commandments, you can do that, but there is a binding nature to that, and we're only released by death through that law. Remember last week we talked about that, and that as Christians, we have died to the law, as a means of trying to be saved, as a means of gaining righteousness, as a means of God saying, you're okay and you're good. We know that we can't do that by trying to keep the commandments, by trying to keep the law, by trying to be good. That doesn't work. Why? Because we're sinful by nature and by choice. That's what Paul's talking about here. To put it very, you know, in a simple way in that way. And he goes on teaching. He just keeps on teaching in terms of our relationship to the law. And he's going to Do that through chapter 7, especially. Um, So look at verse 7. The first thing he says, What then shall we say that the law is sin? No, the law is not sin. It is good by no means. Yet, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said you shall not covet. So he keeps on teaching. And as we'll see, The law, the moral law, gives definition to God's distinct, definitive, and definite standard of righteousness. It's binding on all people at all times, everywhere, always. It defines ethics, morality. It tells you what God's moral standard is, what he requires of each and every person. That's before us. It tells you what is right and what is wrong definitively, always, concretely. Fallen persons can't make these distinctions on their own, right? So if you're not in Christ, you can't see the law for what it truly is initially until he opens our hearts. So what do we do? We try to make make the law up as we go along, don't we? There's different ways. Fallen people can't make these distinctions on their own, but it doesn't keep them from trying, right? To, To know what right is and to know what wrong is and to try to define that. We're living in that time right now. In a couple of ways, we see how people try to do this. First of all, right? So they, Paul says, What shall we say that the law of sins by no means? If it hadn't been for the law, I would have not known what sin is. We know what sin is because of the law of God. That's what teaches us, that's what shows us. But people don't want that. They want to come up with their own ideas of right and wrong don't they they want to come up with their own standards of goodness and what's well, not so good in that way how do they do that a couple of ways first of all through general consensus if you can get enough people to agree upon what is right and what is wrong what is good and what is bad what is acceptable and unacceptable if you could get enough people to go along with that then it must be okay Right? So, so forget about this, the unchanging standard of God's authoritative word and his law. Forget about that. If we can get enough people to agree what's right and what's wrong, well, then that's what's right and what's wrong. And it becomes very subjective in that way. It's very, very dangerous. It's very inconsistent. And it's very subjective. What was deemed to be wrong, detrimental and destructive yesterday is right, helpful, and constructive today in that way of thinking, right? Okay, just think about this. Think in your own minds, 10 years ago, 10 years ago. Make a list in your own mind, go back. What was morally acceptable among the people of this nation in terms of morality? Just think about it. You, you don't even have to think sexuality with the, the whole gay agenda, the LGBTQ. You can even think in terms of crime. Well, ten years ago, even a few years ago, some of the things that we're seeing that's kind of being accepted and being tolerated, you never thought would be tolerated. But see, that's the general consensus. When you don't have the absolute standard, you could kind of make it up as you go along, and if you can get enough people to agree, then that's going to be okay. So, you know, ten years what kind of crimes we that we see today, that could never happen, at least not in this country, and you see it. And it's being tolerated. We're private homes, you know, people standing in front of your homes and causing destruction and damage and no consequences, no repercussions. People taking what they want. Look, more That's when you have a general consensus, when God's law is not the standard, you're not going to know exactly what sin is. That's why we as Christians preach the law and the gospel all the time. Right? Another way is existential or personal feelings my experience that's what tells me what's right and wrong what I think is right especially in this day that we're living in now hmm? if you're 25 or younger this is this is where you're at if it makes me feel happy it doesn't matter the morality of it the rightness or the wrongness of it if it makes me happy well then I guess that that's okay if it makes me feel good all I need to do is follow my heart as a Christian, we say, that's the problem. We follow our, our hearts are sinful beyond all else. That's why we have God's standard in his word. But, But that's the idea today. I follow my heart. That is the absolute problem. Yet, if you deny them their feelings, if you point out reality, they look at you as if you're from another planet, especially the younger ones today. What do you mean I can't have that? What do you mean I can't do what I want? What do you mean I can't have this thing in my life, right? And they look at you with bewilderment and and shame, but that's it because it is God who defines morality. The law reflects his own holy nature and it flows from his character. That's why Paul says we don't say the law is sin. If it hadn't been before the law, I would not have known sin. The law defines what sin is. That is the holy and righteous standard. That's what we put before the Lord. That's very telling that you could tell where people stand with God by what they think about his law and commandments. So if you mention the law of God to some people, and they say, oh, I hate the law of God. I hate, I hate that then that's going to be reflected in their attitude towards God. They're going to hate God very easily. You could tell that. As Christians, we love God, therefore we love the law of God. We love the commandments. We, we seek to, by God's grace, live in a manner consistent with them, right? That's the idea. If people see the commandments as restrictive, oh man, I can't do this and I can't do that, then they're gonna see God as like this cosmic killjoy, right? God is, He doesn't want the good for me. He doesn't really care about me. He doesn't want me to be happy. If He did, He would let me do such and such. You tell when people are irritated by the law that bothers them. Man, this is, it's just, it's irritating to me that they're gonna be bothered by God. So that, how we even view the law of God, the moral law of God says a lot about our own heart towards him. If you don't see the law as a big deal, who cares about those commandments? It's not even a big deal to me. You know what I mean? Then God's not going to be a big deal to you either. And you're not going to, well, who's he anyway, right? The law helps to find sin in us. Look what Paul says. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet See how to find sin in us now it's really cool that Paul uses the tenth commandment. It would be a lot easier to to use like the Sixth, seventh, eighth commandment. You know, you could use those ones. What it is to, you know, to 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 kill, to commit adultery, to steal. There more, but he goes right to covetousness because that especially is an inward. It's a hard idea when you covet something that really, really begins in the heart, doesn't it? That person has the very thing that I want, that I desire, that I need to have in my life, and I want that so badly. I'll do almost anything to get it. See, that's what the covenant is. See, that's what it says. It it helps to find sin. Now Covetous, when he talks about here, having a covetous nature, it's not when you look at somebody who's very successful and doing well, and you want that, there's nothing wrong with having that desire to be successful, I'm gonna work hard, I'm gonna, do... that's an appropriate use of that, but the heart of covetousness, and we know this from the scriptures, is when you want something that somebody has so badly that you'll do almost anything to get it, you will not be content with what God has given to you. You want what that other person has, and you're gonna do whatever it takes to get it. That's the covetous heart. And it it expresses itself. People will do almost anything, they'll cheat. If I want somebody else's spouse, if that person is for me, then I will cheat, then I will lie, then I will steal, and I will even kill to get what I want. That's the covetous heart. And the attitude, the the emotions that go along with that, the jealousy, the anger, the, the envy, the brooding, all those things are part of a covetous heart. And the law says you shall not covet. So it brings out and it defines what God's standard is. And that's unchanging. That, those tenders don't change. It's not okay to, to, to not covet one day, but oh, now I could covet this day. It's okay. And we're living in a day and age where there's so much covetousness, actually. People just want what they want and they're going to do whatever they have to do to get it as long as it makes them feel good, gives them satisfaction, and gives them fulfillment. But the law teaches what it is. It shows our sin and our failure to obey as we transgress, so the first thing that it does, I would not have known, but now I know because this is the law of God, Paul says it defines sin for us, but then he goes on from there, and this is almost i don't want to say counterintuitive, but it, it's it's different. Look what he says in verse eight. He says this, but sin seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. See, this one gets a little, what what does that mean? What's he saying there? Listen, here's how sin works also through the law. So on the one hand, and we've talked about this in the past, the law provides a restraint, a warning. It says, don't do this, right? That's part of what the law says. It's there to to restrain evil. But there's part of the law, and it works, and it works in all of us in different ways and different times. Like this. It'll actually stir up sin in us. That law that you're looking at and reading actually kind of in a, in a in a different way of putting it, not having another way to put it, it kind of activates sin in us. Paul is saying that the law gives sin an opportunity, as it were, and listen to this, to show how sinful we can be. Because we could be so sinful that we see that law, and that actually moves us to sin because of the, the very prohibition. The very prohibition causes us to, to want to break the law because you say, I cannot, I want to do that, right? That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying, that, that it seized an opportunity through the commandment to produce all kinds of covetousness. That's what he's talking about in the context here, but you could use that for any sin. There's nothing wrong with the commandment. It's not the law. Sin is the culprit. Sin takes the opportunity. And it shows how much of a hold that it has on us. That even when we see that law and we know it's the wrong thing to do, that we're going to do it anyway. So how could you keep that law of God? You don't even really want to. You're not even able to do that. That's part of the total depravity of our nature. It has a hold on us and all of us are guilty of that. The idea here again, it's not that you're intentionally going out looking to sin, looking to break God's law when when it's working like this. Kind of had an illustration last week. We'll use a similar one this week. So you have a Few teenagers walking down the street they're just walking down the street being teenagers you know what that's like or what that was like if you could think back that far it's getting harder and harder to remember those days but you're walking down the street and you come to a beautifully manicured lawn it's just beautiful and there's a big sign there that says keep off the grass you're just walking you really had no intention of going on the grass or of anybody but when you saw that sign did you do you stepped over (laughs) and you know if you really got crazy with your friend you would like go and tear up that lawn why did you do that that sin inciting us that's what paul's saying here that commandment seizing the opportunity through the commandment, don't you do that, produce all kinds of covetousness in me. And it just shows how much a hold sin has on us. Even the law provokes us in that way to sin. And so you're walking along, and those kids might say, you know what, those people deserve to have their lawn torn up because they love their yards so much. Who are they to love that, like, in that way? You know what I mean? But we did that. We all have been there in one way or another. Think of that. That's what he's talking about here. You weren't intentionally setting out to do something, but there's an opportunity. You see something, something sparked in you, and I'm going to do it. That's what Paul says. That's how it works. We've all, it's nothing, you know, when you read, it sounds like, what's he talking about here? That's exactly what he's talking about here. And you know exactly what he's talking about because you've done it, because you've been there, because you know that crimes of opportunity. You're not setting out to break the law. You think all those looters when the riots were taking place, do you think all of them were just had the intention of stealing? Now some did, for sure, but there were others. You know that you know there's no shoplifting allowed. There's a big sign there. But when you see all those others going in there, you weren't necessarily having the intention of going and stealing. But you know, everybody else is taking something. I might as well take something too. I need a pair of shoes. Hmm. That's it. That's it. The opportunity. That's what Paul is saying here. We get caught up in the moment. When you hear people saying, I don't know what happened. We just got caught up in the moment. That's this. You know that you're not to do that. You know the law says you ought not to. But that very fact that the law says you must not do that incites you, excites you, arouses you to actually break that commandment. How many times in those movies when you see people having an affair or about to have an affair and they say, oh, this is wrong. We shouldn't do it. While they're saying this is wrong, we shouldn't do it. They're becoming more and more intimate and they're breaking that law. That's the idea behind this. And Paul's saying it sees the opportunity in me, that willful disobedience. Now, listen, why do we insist on doing that which is forbidden? At times, at times. The law does this, and when it does this, it shows how susceptible to sin we are. I would never do that. Never say that. Never say that. You do not know what the human heart is capable of. I would never take a life as they walk into the abortion clinic. I never thought I would do that. So that shows. How susceptible we are to sin and how desperately we need Jesus Christ. Do you understand that? That's what Paul's saying when he says that. That very law produced that. It just, when it says no, it just gets me more excited to go ahead and do it. That's our sinful nature. That's why we need Jesus Christ. That's what he saves us from. He goes on, verses 9 through 11. Again, it sounds strange. He says, I was once alive apart from the law. But when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. Again, confusing, isn't it? The very commandment that promised life proved death to me. For sin, seizing the opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. Okay. Again, let's try to unravel. this. try to make sense of this. It's related to the previous point, but here's a little different because now he's exposing the depth of our sin not just the the idea how much sin has a hold on us and how we're provoked even by the commandment how it's defined but now how how expansive sin is in us it's it's deeper than you think it's more serious than you could ever imagine or understand you know as a christian how serious sin is if you're not a christian you need to understand how serious your sin, your sin is, how deep, how expansive it is. One person used the idea of a of an iceberg. Sometimes you see the tip of the iceberg, but that's all you see. You see just the, the smallest part of it because it's underneath that it's really expansive and goes and goes and goes. That's what sin is like as well. And that's what this brings out. That's what this is bringing out when Paul says this. Um, I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. Hmm alive apart from the law what's that mean what's he saying when he when he's when he was bringing that forth here's what it is it's the perception that apart from the law not really knowing the commandments by the power of the holy spirit and being enlightened we feel alive right life is pretty good i'm doing fine and i'm okay i'm not perfect but life is good this is most people that's that's the idea here apart from the law i'm alive like the like the guy who's building the bigger barns. I'm doing all right, I'm you know living my life, and but then at the end Jesus said, Your very life is gonna be required of you, and then what are you gonna have? When are you gonna say that? So when he became aware of the commandment, he says, I once was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment um came, sin came alive in me. The very commandment of the promised life proved death to me, for sin seizing an opportunity through the commandment deceived me. And through it killed me. When he became aware of that commandment by the Holy Spirit. Now remember, Paul was a Pharisee. Did Paul know the law? And this is where we get back to the legalistic aspect. of it. Paul knew the law better than most people, better than his contemporaries. Right? He knew it, but he didn't understand it as it was meant to be understood by God. That was a problem with the Pharisees. They knew the law. They could tell you the law. They could give you every single aspect of it. They knew the verses. They knew the chapters. They could pretend to live like it. We have a lot of people like that today in legalistic churches. They could give you chapter and verse. <clears throat> they can give you all the catechism questions, but there's nothing there that, that, that brings life to it. It's just an empty shell of knowledge and understanding and legalism and trying. That's a death sentence, right? Paul knew all of that. He did a great job keeping the law by his own admission. I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. I knew more than my contemporaries. I was the best there was. I was more zealous than anybody else to keep that law of God. And I did more for God than most of my contemporaries. I was even the one going after those Christians who were distorting the the law of God. He thought he was doing great. Until he understood the commandments and then he became alive. I was once alive apart from the law. But when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. When he sees the law for what it is and how sinful we are and how far, far short we fall of it. That leads to his death in that way, right? He thought he was doing great until he truly understood the commandments and then that wrecked him. As he realized the depth of his sin, which comes through the law, it killed him. He's convicted by his sin. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. I see what my sin is like. I understand now that I can't keep this. I'm overwhelmed by it. That commandment, that promised life proved death to me. That's our story. If you're a Christian, that's our story. Apart from Christ, we we were we were fine. We thought that we were decent people, good people, trying hard, nice people, gracious. We didn't see the things that we did as sinful, at least not really. And there were kind of mistakes, and yeah, we didn't always do right, but you know, not not much different than anybody else. Sometimes we even thought what we did was good and noble. You hear testimonies from former abortionists, and they thought they were actually doing something good and noble, helping that woman, helping that poor girl that didn't have a future. And now, but then you hear the testimony, and what do they say? When I look back on that, I see that sin. I understand how sinful I was. When we look back on our lives, it's the same thing. Before you were a Christian, you thought you were pretty good. Well, you know, you might say I'm pretty bad, but uh, you know, but I'm good enough. I might not be great, but I'm good. And I think I'll make it. You know, as a Christian, no, I look back, and I know what a sinner I was. I know my because I was exposed by the law of God through the power of the Holy Spirit to show us our sins. So every Christian's going to look back and say, "I was a lawbreaker, and I deserve the wrath of God. I didn't keep this." Even people think you're nice. Oh, but you've always been so nice. No, 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 no. Not according to his standard. Not according to his word. That's why Christ came. And that's what Paul is saying here when he came alive and then he died. Jesus shows the demand of the law how deep and how wide our sin is. He did it throughout his ministry. Time after time, he did it with the Corbin, you know, with the Pharisees. Oh, I'm taking this money. Instead of helping my parents, I'm going to give it to the temple. Jesus said, you're breaking the commandment of honoring your father and mother because you're not looking after them and you're making a show of that money to get glory for yourselves. The good Samaritan who proved to be the true neighbor. And then, of course, there's the rich young ruler. And I do want you to turn with me to uh, Mark chapter 10. Because I want you to see how deep our sin is. Our perception of ourselves before we truly know the law of God and how it exposes our sin. So we can be alive apart from the law in that way. So Mark chapter 10. And you know the story, but it's a really good illustration of what Paul's speaking to this morning. He says this. Beginning in verse 17. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up to him and he knelt before Jesus and he asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. There go Jesus right to the law. You know the commandments. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness. Don't defraud. Honor your father and your mother. And so he said to him, teacher, all these things I've kept from my youth. There it is. That's exactly what Paul's saying. When we're dead to the law in that way, we think we're alive. I'm pretty good. This is my, this is my I I've done these things. And then uh, I kept these things from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. And he said to him, okay, you're lacking one thing. Go and sell all that you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And come and follow me. Well, disheartened by this saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. See how the law exposes? He was alive until he was dead. <laughs> to the law. He was alive because he, the law had not impacted him in that way so he couldn't see his deadness how dead he truly was. So Jesus asked, the guy asked what he needed to do. Jesus confronts him with the law, with the moral demands, with the commandments. He did a self-assessment like many of us would do, you know. Um, I'm pretty, well, I'm real good, you know. Here's what, I've done all these things. I've not killed anybody. I've, you know, not defrauded anybody. I've, I've, I've not really, I'm not a liar. I, I, I honor my father and my mother. I'm stacking up. I'm, I'm, I'm looking at myself and I'm, and I'm telling you I'm a pretty, pretty good at keeping this law thing. Well, then Jesus says to him, in essence, well, you're a good law keeper. Since you're such a good law keeper, it should be no problem for you to sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and come and follow me. See what he's exposing? He's exposing that heart, and this is the work of the law and on that heart, or at least expo- to exposing sin in that way. He exposed the fact, although this guy did all those good things, when it came to the heart of the issue, that one thing he was extraordinarily wealthy. What did he choose to do? He chose to hang. He chose to hang on to his money, rather than follow Jesus Christ. And every Christian knows that you need to be willing to give everything up in order to follow Jesus Christ. If you're not willing to do that, then you are not a Christian. If you're not willing to give everything up in order to follow Christ, then you cannot say you're in Jesus Christ. If it comes down to it, you're going to have to say goodbye to the world and hello to Christ. Goodbye to my home, hello to Christ. Goodbye to, to my job for the sake of Christ. Everything you have, you need to be willing to give up for the Lord Jesus Christ. Was this man willing to do that? One thing he wasn't going to give up was his money because he had lots and lots of it. So it cuts right back to the commandment. It wasn't that this guy was a bad person. He was a sinner and he loved his money more than he loved God. So what he was doing was actually breaking the very first commandment, which says, you shall have no other gods before me. Or what God was he serving? We see that he had a God that he loved more than the true and living God. You see what the law does, how it exposes that? You're alive until you're dead. It exposes how deep our sin runs. It's a big mirror. Like Paul says, it's a big mirror, and it shows us where our loyalties lie. Now, when, by God's grace, you realize that fact, When you realize your need for Christ, you are driven to him. That's right. I can't keep this. That's right. I can't do this. You're right, Jesus. When you pray that that young man would have just saw that sin and repented and turned to the Lord. Some believe he actually did it later on down the line. We're not sure. But see what the law does? And it shows us. And that's what Paul is talking about here. I was alive apart from the law. But when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. It shows how deep our sin is. So, verse 12 in Romans just serves as a summary of all this. It says, He says this. So, the law is holy, the commandment is holy, righteous, and good. So, that's what the law does. Part of the continuing conversation, exposition, and teaching is the law is good, it defines sin, it shows us it's that ultimate standard, the authoritative standard. You can't use nothing else. You can't change it. You can't say, well, I know what the Bible says, but, you know, don't you think uh Or sometimes people say, I know what the Bible says, but I've prayed to God and He's good with this. It is okay for me to, you know, live apart from marriage with this other person because God understands and I got I have peace about it. That's what people say all the time when they're breaking the commandments. I have peace about it. God gave me peace. Well, what does his word say? His word says, No, you can't do that, but I have peace about it, so God's okay with it. He's not okay with it if the word if it goes against the word. We do that all the time because his word defines sin. The law defines sin. So don't don't fool yourselves in that way secondly it shows us a sin it stirs it stirs up sin in us oftentimes be aware of that be aware of that it is meant by God's grace to 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 say no this is a restraint don't do it don't let it provoke you to more sin we'll talk more about that next week in Paul's battle with sin but understand that it's capable of doing that and that's just showing us the hold that sin has on us it's not the law it's even when we see that law, our rebellion against God says, No, God, I want to do this more than I want to serve you. And if you're going to tell me no, I am going to say yes. That's how prideful we are. That's how sinful we are. That's how awful we are. And that's why we need Jesus Christ. Amen. And then it exposes the depth of our sin. We think we're okay. We think we're doing all right until we actually see how badly We break the law. How big a law breakers we truly, truly are. And that comes through in the law as it, as the Holy Spirit applies us to our hearts. We think we're okay with it. But then as He changes our hearts, we say, no, 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 no. I see and I'm convicted by that. I know what a sinner I am in that way. The law exposes our sin. But you know what? The gospel The gospel offers forgiveness of our sin. Amen. And that's the good news. That's always the good news. And that's what we have to remember even when we're witnessing. I'm going to end with this for this morning. Even as we witness, we need to remember the relationship between the law and the gospel because the law is going to work in this way. That's why you are obligated to preach that law when you're preaching the gospel. And I think that's been a big issue in our country for years and years and years that we have failed to preach the law aspect of the gospel, right? We're just telling people, hey, you need Jesus. Jesus loves you and all that kind of stuff, you know, right? We we, we, we tend to tell people what Jesus has done for them. Oh, he died on a cross without explaining why and our need for him. It's due to our sin, and that's what the law brings out. Now, we might even say we have all sinned. Okay, but what does that mean? The law shows us that we're sinners. How? Because we can't keep it, right? Here's God's standard. Perfect, absolute—you can't go wrong in thought, word, or deed—not even one time. Do you ever steal anything, even one little thing? Well, then what's that make you? Oh, I just made a mistake. You know, just—it makes you a thief, right? This is the ray comfort. That's that's part of the law we bring in. Well, I never killed anybody. Were you ever angry with somebody to the point where you wish they were dead, or if you could kill them, you would? I'll make you a murderer. Oh, I've never committed adultery, not physically. But have you ever lusted after somebody? Wow, that's a, you know. You've already Jesus says you've already committed adultery. So that's the law coming alive. That's the idea. And when we're t- speaking to others, they need to understand the sinfulness. The law is missing in our evangelism. That good, holy, and righteous standard, as He puts it here. Who cares what Jesus did if I'm not told why? I need him so much. You know, Why am why I in such desperate need? Without the law, the gospel doesn't make much sense and it doesn't have much force. That's why we preach it this way. That's why we show them. That's why we tell them. And this is how they see they need Christ in them, bringing it forth. God's standard shows our need, how far short we are falling, how desperately we need Jesus Christ. Now, next week, we're going to see and talk about Paul's personal struggle with sin and how that goes.